Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I wanted to reflect on the FDR's D-Day prayer, and we're going to do that at some length today. I want you to hear the whole prayer, and uh, as I was thinking about it and uh, just studying up for it, I came across a debate from, it took place during the uh, George W. Bush years, and it was uh, a group uh, forum called Intelligence Squared, and the debate topic was, America is too damned religious. Okay, that was the debate topic. And they had Christians and secularists and atheists there all debating this. And I, I looked it through, and I said to myself, you know, this is, this is something that's very relevant for us today. Uh, the president of the United States, then uh, Franklin Roosevelt, did what previous presidents had done and which most Americans expected him to do. They expected prayer. They didn't expect the presidents to be prayer warriors, but in times of national crisis, it wasn't unusual for Americans to pray. Nobody would have said that America is too, quote, damned religious. Uh, they would have thought this was appropriate. Uh, Americans are the most religious citizens in the developed world, and I, I, people are drifting away from identification with religious institutions, but the vast majority still pray in some fashion. They still believe in God in some fashion, and uh, they do believe that their faith, whatever it is, is very important to them. And yet today, if presidents did what uh, FDR did, there would be an outcry that somehow he was um, being exclusivistic. He was alienating people who didn't believe in prayer or who didn't believe in that kind of God. And I think some of us have to come to the place and say, you know, with all due respect, so what? Why should a small minority, a very vocal minority, get a heckler's veto over the majority of the American people who believe that in times of national crisis, it is appropriate that a president pray in some general way for the well-being of the nation. It brings us together far more than it drives us apart. And this was very much seen uh, in my growing up years. In the 1950s, Jewish sociologist Will Herberg wrote a book called Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. And he noted, even at that time, a decade after Roosevelt had prayed on D-Day, he recognized that there was an attempt being made by secularist thinkers to disengage the moral principles of Western civilization from their scripturally-based religious context. Um, they thought they could somehow have a humanistic ethic which was cut from and not attached to any kind of religious substrata. And he said, you know, cut flowers retain their original beauty and fragrance, but only so long as they retain the vitality that they have drawn from their now severed roots. After that, it's exhausted. They wither and they die. And so with freedom, brotherhood, justice, and personal dignity, the values that form the moral foundation of our civilization, without the life-giving power of the faith out of which they have sprung, they possess neither meaning nor vitality. So America did have, and I think still does to some degree, but it does seem weakened to me, what you might call a civil religion in which Protestants, Catholics, and Jews have generally regarded as helpful in keeping American citizens aware that our government is not an end in and of itself, that it's a government that must ultimately answer to something higher, if it's to maintain freedom for individuals. I mean, once the state recognizing nothing higher than itself, then its citizens ought to take for the hills. The Soviet Union 
Nazism are the two great 20th century examples of this. I think China will be our 21st example of it. But in fact, there's a powerful moment during the trial of Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann when he refused to take an oath on the Bible. He was part of the Nazi inner circle. He wasn't going to touch his hand to this book. And that's the example of what happens when a state recognizes no higher power. So what's been called the civil religion uh, in America really comes uh, from our history. Uh, The Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that we are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. The Gettysburg Address, uh, four score and seven, you know, he's invoking the cadences of the Bible. Uh, We have Thanksgiving, a major national holiday. We we think Providence for America. We have the 4th of July, uh, celebrating Liberty, Memorial Day, celebrating sacrifice. And it's the moral imperatives of faith uh, that lead to outpouring support for victims of genocide, for victims of AIDS, for victims of national disasters everywhere on the planet. There's a large and increasing number of Americans who are Protestant, Catholic, and Jew who are urging more responsible, more energetic, more meaningful, and more relevant lives in caring for those who are uh, without. Uh, Who says America's too damn religious? I mean, you could ask uh, Abraham Lincoln, who references God 14 times in the four paragraphs of his second inaugural address— You could ask Martin Luther King, uh, with the rhythms and cadences and words of Scripture flowing eloquently in his civic sermons, uh, quoting from the prophet uh, Amos. Let's listen to this uh, prayer of Franklin Roosevelt and ask ourselves, uh, is America better off today for ignoring this kind of civic piety uh, among our presidents? My fellow Americans... Last night, when I spoke with you about the fall of Rome, I knew at that moment that troops of the United States and our allies were crossing the channel in another and greater operation. It has come to pass with success thus far. And so, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed. But we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day, without rest, 
until the victory is won. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. For these men are lately drawn from the ways of peace. They fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. They fight to let justice arise and tolerance and goodwill among all thy people. They yearn but for the end of battle, for their return to the haven of home. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And for us at home, fathers, mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this hour of great sacrifice. Many people have urged that I call the nation into a single day of special prayer. But because the road is long and the desire is great, I ask that our people devote themselves in a continuance of prayer as we rise to each new day and again when each day is spent let words of prayer be on our lips invoking thy help to our efforts give us strength to strengthen our daily tasks to redouble the contributions we make in the physical and the material support of our armed forces. And let our hearts be stout to wait out the long travel, to bear sorrows that may come, to impart our courage unto our sons, wheresoever they may be. And, O oh Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade. Let not the keenness of our spirit ever be dulled. Let not the impacts of temporary events of temporal matters of but fleeting moment. Let not these deter us in our unconquerable purpose. With thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country. 
and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. Americans have always thought that their faith made them better, not worse citizens. So ask yourself, is America better or worse off today for having chief executives that probably would not ever engage in that kind of public prayer? I'm Al Creston.